Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. The Medal of Honor is the highest honor that any member of the armed forces can receive. The award is granted to any person who distinguishes himself by gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of life above and beyond the call of duty, an action involving actual combat with the enemy. General Douglas MacArthur received the Medal of Honor on April 1, 1942. Before officially receiving this esteemed decoration, however, MacArthur had displayed courageous action on two other occasions that placed him in consideration for the Medal of Honor. MacArthur's first brush with the Medal of Honor took place in Mexico during the United States occupation of Veracruz in 1914. In the first decades of the 20th century, the border zone between the United States and Mexico was fraught with tension due to the general political instability in Mexico. The activities of men like Pancho Villa as well as concerns that Mexico was willing to menace the border states in order to help Germany distract the United States from sending supplies to the Allies, forced the United States to keep a close eye on Mexico as World War I raged in Europe. Following a successful coup d'etat that toppled Mexican President Francisco Madero, General Victoriano Huerta took over as leader of Mexico on February 18, 1913. On April 21, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson obtained intelligence that Huerta was expecting a German ship with a significant cargo of arms and ammunition to arrive at Veracruz, a port city on the eastern coast of Mexico. Without waiting for Congress to approve his decision, President Wilson instructed American forces to occupy and secure Veracruz. Veracruz was secured, and against pressure, Wilson decided not to order the army to march on Mexico City but to confine U.S. troops to Veracruz in the hopes that the Mexican people would rise up against Huerta. In the event that an invasion was necessary, however, one of MacArthur's mentors, former Chief of Staff Major General Leonard Wood, was charged with commanding a possible expeditionary force out from Veracruz. Wood selected a young Captain Douglas MacArthur to go to Veracruz on a reconnaissance mission to gather intelligence that would help plan operations for this prospective war with Mexico. The particulars of this mission were to be kept secret. Upon his arrival in Veracruz on May 1, 1914, MacArthur sought out General Funston, the commander of all American forces in Veracruz. MacArthur explained to Funston that he was working under the direct orders of the War Department and would therefore be independent of Funston's command. Funston explained to MacArthur that tensions were high and that he could not assure MacArthur's safety if he left Veracruz to do reconnaissance because thousands of rebels, bandits, and Mexican regulars roamed the territory around Veracruz. Wishing to avoid any altercations that might trigger a war, Funston did not want anyone, including MacArthur, to venture into hostile territory. MacArthur had his mission, though, and was determined to see it through. If war came, he knew his reconnaissance would be vital. 
The army knew that it would be unable to execute a successful advance from Veracruz without means of transportation. The railroad lines leading out of Veracruz would clearly be the most viable option, and there are plenty of railroad cars in Veracruz. The problem was that there were too few engines. When the army obtained information about several engines located in Alvarado, 40 miles southeast of Veracruz, MacArthur ignored Funston's earlier warnings and decided to go personally in search of the engines. After bribing a Mexican railway engineer with $150 and obtaining the services of two other Mexicans, MacArthur set out towards Alvarado late in the evening of May 6, 1914. After an uneventful journey, the group reached Alvarado and found five engines, three of which, according to MacArthur, were just what we needed. Fine, big road pullers, in excellent condition except for a few minor parts which were missing. On the trip back to Veracruz, the mission was running according to plan when suddenly MacArthur and his guides were halted by five armed bandits. Trying to escape, they were fired upon. Armed only with a thirty-eight caliber revolver, MacArthur would bring down two of the attackers. Shortly thereafter, they would encounter fifteen more bandits. MacArthur and his party escaped again, only to be set upon by yet another group of bandits before they safely reached Veracruz around dawn on May 8. All in all, MacArthur brought down at least seven of his attackers and survived unscathed with the exception of four bullet holes in his clothing. After MacArthur's return, Captain Constant Cordier wrote a letter to General Wood recommending that Wood nominate MacArthur for the Congressional Medal of Honor. Wood accepted Cordier's suggestion and wrote to the War Department on the subject in the last week of November that same year. In early January 1915, General Funston responded to an inquiry by the Adjutant General about Wood's letter as well as reports of MacArthur's actions. Having found out about the mission months after its occurrence, Funston wrote, I am at a loss to know how I can properly make official recommendation on the subject. As a matter of personal opinion, I should say that the risks voluntarily taken and the dangers encountered were of the most exceptional nature, and the awarding of the Medal of Honor would be entirely appropriate and justifiable. Even though the Board of Officers acknowledged that MacArthur had risked his life and praised his actions, on February 9th they produced a report that opposed presenting MacArthur with the award citing fears that awarding MacArthur's actions might encourage other young officers to disregard their local commanders and take similar action in the future. There are also technical concerns about the award, because the Judge Advocate General felt that gallantry in action required a time of official war. The relationship between the United States and Mexico was certainly hot, but no official declaration of war had been made. MacArthur reacted to the board's reservations with a brash letter of protest in which he criticized what he perceived as the board's rigid narrow-mindedness and lack of imagination. Many viewed this explosive reaction as unbecoming and pretentious. He would ultimately not receive the Congressional Medal of Honor or any medal for valor in terms of Veracruz, and his angry reaction would brand him in the eyes of some as a pleader for special consideration. MacArthur was nominated a second time for the Medal of Honor while fighting in World War I. After Allied forces successfully took Côte de Châtillon in October of 1918, Major General Charles P. Summerall felt that then Brigadier General MacArthur deserved the Medal of Honor as well as a promotion to Major General. 
Summerall concentrated his recommendation on MacArthur's leadership and courage during the course of the battle, which ultimately made the Allied victory possible. This time, MacArthur's nomination was derailed by General John J. Pershing, the commander of the American Expeditionary Forces, because Pershing did not believe in awarding the Medal of Honor to officers. MacArthur did not receive the promotion to Major General either, although he did earn his second Distinguished Service Cross. Later, Pershing would remark that the importance of Châtillon could hardly be overstated. MacArthur himself always viewed this victory as the approach to final victory and the beginning of the end of World War I. MacArthur's third and final nomination for the Medal of Honor would come for actions in the Philippines during World War II. War began on December 7, 1941, when the American fleet was surprised by a Japanese attack at Pearl Harbor. This first attack was followed immediately by an attack on the Philippines that destroyed MacArthur's air force. Two weeks later, Japanese forces began their main invasion of the Philippines. After initially trying to repulse the Japanese invasion on the beaches, MacArthur eventually put War Plan Orange 3 into full effect on December 26th. War Plan Orange was heavily influenced by Alfred T. Mahan, particularly Mahan's idea that naval power would decide wars. This plan called for a retreat to Bataan and Corregidor, where the forces would hold out against the Japanese for six months. After this six-month period, it was assumed that the United States Navy, freshly supplied and at full strength, would then be able to arrive and relieve the Philippines. This was a costly assumption. A Europe-first strategy had already been decided upon in Washington because Germany was thought to be a bigger threat and because Prime Minister Winston Churchill was a formidable lobbyist. Thus, the strategy for those in the Pacific theater was to contain the Japanese threat without expending significant resources that could be used against Hitler. Washington vaguely communicated this policy to MacArthur, leaving him to believe that relief efforts were coming. These mixed messages continued. On December 28, 1941, President Franklin Roosevelt announced in a message broadcast to the Filipino people, I give to the people of the Philippines my solemn pledge that their freedom will be redeemed and their independence established and protected. The entire resources and men and materials of the United States stand behind that pledge. Roosevelt went on to explain that the Navy was planning a scheme to deliver assistance to the Philippines. Even as these promised reinforcements and supplies constantly failed to materialize, MacArthur continued to encourage his forces in their stubborn resistance. Virtually abandoned, the Philippines slowly fell to the Japanese. MacArthur concentrated his efforts on defending the Bataan Peninsula and the island fortress of Corregidor. As he and his forces stood between the Japanese and the rest of the Pacific, MacArthur described the situation as the Japanese having the bottle while he held the cork in place. Japanese propaganda against America made the task of the defenders more and more difficult every day. Nevertheless, MacArthur tried to give his forces inspiration to keep fighting. When the Japanese began bombing Bataan and Corregidor on a daily basis, MacArthur did not seek shelter in the tunnels of Corregidor. Rather, he went outside to better observe the bombings. The gunners and the troops in the foxholes were completely exposed to these attacks, and MacArthur knew they liked to see him there by their side. MacArthur never perceived these actions as heroic. 
he considered it his duty and believed that the subtle corrosion of panic or fatigue or the feeling of just being fed up can only be arrested by the intervention of the leader in war to be effective it must take the form of a fraternity of danger welded between a commander and his troops by the common denominator of sharing the risk of sudden death he even ignored advice from washington and from filipino president Quezon to be more careful macarthur may have wanted to rid himself of the dugout dog nickname that some troops on Bataan called him because they assumed he stayed on Corregidor to remain protected and out of danger. Or he may have just wanted to be with his troops because they needed him in such disheartening conditions. It is also possible that as it became more clear that Washington would not deliver on its promises of aid, that MacArthur may have wanted to be with his troops because he needed to be encouraged by their courage. Overall, his disregard of personal danger reassured many serving under his command. As the situation became even more desperate in late February, Philippine President Quezon was evacuated from the Philippines in the American submarine Swordfish. In a letter he wrote to MacArthur on February 20th, Quezon said that he would have stayed until the end, but both he and MacArthur would better serve the overall cause in a safer, more protected territory. On February 23, 1942, MacArthur received an order from President Roosevelt instructing him to proceed to Melbourne to take command of the troops there. MacArthur faced a serious dilemma, either disobey the President's direct orders or desert his men. At first, MacArthur threatened to resign and report to Bataan as a volunteer. Eventually, he was prevailed upon and he agreed to go to Australia to assume leadership of forces that he assumed would then be used to relieve Bataan and Corregidor. For nearly two weeks, Washington and the President urged MacArthur to leave, but he constantly delayed his departure. Eventually, he left Corregidor on March 11, 1942. Prior to MacArthur's departure from Corregidor, Japanese propaganda reports had announced that if the Japanese succeeded in capturing MacArthur, they would hang him in the Imperial Plaza in Tokyo. Staying on Corregidor was clearly a death sentence. Leaving, however, presented other dangers. If the risk of traveling thousands of miles through enemy blockades was not already enough, MacArthur chose to attempt the escape in four PT boats rather than by submarine. He hoped to show Washington that by escaping successfully in PT boats that the much-vaunted Japanese blockade was penetrable. He also wanted to thumb his nose at his enemy. Upon his arrival in Australia, MacArthur issued a statement intended especially for those he had left behind in the Philippines. He said, The President of the United States ordered me to break through the Japanese lines and proceed from Corregidor to Australia for the purpose, as I understand it, of organizing the American offensive against Japan, a primary object of which is the relief of the Philippines. I came through, and I shall return. Meanwhile, the Axis powers jumped at an opportunity to exploit MacArthur's escape. In Berlin, Josef Goebbels, the propaganda minister for Nazi Germany, described MacArthur as a fleeing general. In Rome, Benito Mussolini, the leader of the National Fascist Party, called him a coward. And in Tokyo, the Japan Times and Advertiser labeled him a deserter who had fled from his post, thereby admitting the futility of further resisting Japanese pressure. Meanwhile, in America, 
The War Department and President Roosevelt desperately needed a way to revive a hero-hungry nation and counter the Axis powers' propaganda. Taking note of the growing support for MacArthur in late January, General Marshall had sent a radiogram on January 31, 1942 to MacArthur's Chief of Staff, Richard Sutherland, advising him not to overlook an opportunity to present General MacArthur with the Medal of Honor. When Marshall finally received a response from Sutherland on March 16th, he wasted no time in drafting a proposal to award MacArthur the Medal of Honor based on Sutherland's recommendations. On March 25th, MacArthur received word that he would be awarded the Medal of Honor for his conspicuous leadership in preparing the Philippines against invading Japanese forces that were superior in both numbers and weaponry. Additionally, it was noted that MacArthur's utter disregard of personal danger under heavy fire and aerial bombardment and his calm judgment in each crisis inspired his troops, galvanized the spirit of resistance of the Filipino people, and confirmed the faith of the American people in their armed forces. In response, MacArthur wrote to Army Chief of Staff Marshall and President Roosevelt that he was accepting the award on behalf of the gallant army he commanded in Bataan. The American people reacted exceptionally well to the decision to award MacArthur the Medal of Honor, perhaps even surpassing Marshall's initial expectations. A biography of MacArthur published on March 25, 1942, became a national bestseller. Cities and states renamed streets and buildings after him. Headlines across the nation praised him and labeled him the Destiny's Child, Lion of Luzon, Hero of the Pacific, Incredible Warrior, and so on. A public opinion poll in May of 1942 showed the growing support for MacArthur in the 1944 presidential election and revealed him to be one of the top four choices for president. For the most part, though, MacArthur kept his sights on victory in the Pacific and on liberating the Philippines. At this point, rescuing them and driving the Japanese from the Philippines had become a great obsession of his life. It would take him two and a half years, but he would eventually accomplish this almost personal mission. Even with the extraordinary leadership MacArthur displayed in the defense of the Bataan Peninsula, some dispute whether or not MacArthur deserved the Medal of Honor. These arguments suggest that MacArthur was not involved closely enough in actual combat, and that his award citation does not reference a specific instance of armed conflict. However, MacArthur was not the first person to receive the Medal of Honor in a non-traditional manner. Congress awarded Charles Lindbergh the Medal of Honor in May of 1927 for completing the first successful transatlantic flight from New York to Paris. There is some evidence that MacArthur himself may have had some reservations about the honor. He never wore the medal, and he never took any pictures with it. He was either ashamed of the honor, in which case he certainly would have rejected it, or he sincerely felt that it was not merely a personal honor, but an honor held in trust for the courageous defenders of Bataan and Corregidor. Regardless of this debate, it cannot be disputed that the defense of Bataan and Corregidor significantly impacted the war. By holding out for as long as they did with such limited resources, MacArthur's forces disrupted the carefully planned Japanese timetable to conquer the Pacific theater. This delay allowed the Allies to prepare for the defense of areas like Australia and New Zealand, both of which were presumably future Japanese targets. Ultimately, by keeping the cork in the bottle, Bataan and Corregidor gave the Allies time and space to launch their own offensive. In receiving the Medal of Honor, MacArthur joined his father, 
Lieutenant General Arthur MacArthur, Jr., also a Medal of Honor recipient, making them the first father and son to both receive the award. The second and only other father-son pair to accomplish this feat was former President Theodore Roosevelt, Sr. and his son, Theodore Roosevelt, Jr. Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov. Oh! <laughs>